Thank you for listening, and we hope this message will strengthen and help you in your walk with God. I want you to open your Bibles first of all tonight, if you will, to the book of Mark, chapter 4. Mark, chapter 4. And I want to talk to you about, uh, I believe, as the Spirit of God is directing me, talk to you about experiencing progressive blessings from God. Progressive blessings from God. God is a progressive God. Amen. It's never His will that we regress. Never His will that we go backward. It's always His will that we go forward. Amen. Not decrease, but increase. In fact, our covenant is a covenant of increase. Praise God. And God has established in His Word principles for experiencing blessings on a progressive manner. Amen. Blessings just keep coming your way. Sounds good to me. How about you? Amen. Blessings just keep coming our way. You know, I, I noticed when I first came to the Lord back there in 1969 that there were certain people that I met. It seemed like every time you came in contact with them, they had another testimony of God doing something wonderful for them, God doing a miracle for them, and uh, God blessing them financially, or God blessing them uh, on their job or a new job or something. And it seemed like every time you saw them, uh, they had another testimony. I said, Lord, I want to be that way. You know, uh, I appreciate what you've already done, but I'm open for more. How about you? Amen. Look at somebody and say, I'm open for more. And uh, I noticed that these people were people that were in continual relationship with the Lord, always talking about the Lord, always talking about His Word. They couldn't get enough of it. And I remember uh, after I had shut my business down and began to prepare for full-time ministry, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I'd heard, you know, John 3.16 as a young boy. Uh, I heard, you know, the story of the cross and so forth. But as far as knowing the Word, I knew nothing. As Brother Copeland would say, he was spiritually illiterate. Well, I could identify with that. I was too. And... Uh, my wife, Carolyn, she had been baptized in the Holy Spirit when she was eight years old, grew up in a Pentecostal church. And uh, her pastor, Jack Moore, was uh, very well known among the healing evangelists of that day. Jack Cole would come to their church. Oral Roberts would come to their church. Uh, T.L. Osborne would come to their church. He knew all the healing evangelists. In fact, he traveled with William Brannan. Not only did he travel with William Brennan, but William Brennan's two closest friends were Jack Moore, my wife's pastor, and Gordon Lindsay. And they traveled together. The three of them traveled together. If you see a picture of, of, of William Brennan, usually in that picture will be Jack Moore, Gordon Lindsay, and one tall Native American man. And that man's name was Young Brown, and that was my wife's uncle. And he traveled with William Brennan as well. So Carolyn grew up in this. I knew nothing. You know, and when I finally came to the Lord in 1969, uh, I'd, I'd hear things 
said and preached at the church when I, I started going to church she grew up in. And I didn't understand, you know, what I was hearing. And so I would ask Carolyn, what did that mean? To me, back then, Carolyn and the Holy Ghost were like one in the same, okay? Because <laughs> she had all the answers, you know? And then, praise God, I began to learn on my own. But uh, when I got into the Word, somebody in, in that church, the first time Brother Copeland came, he was there for a week, three services a day. That's 21 services. Now, I never went to any of them, even though Carolyn was begging me to go. I only went the very last night he was there. And that's the night that I heard the word that changed my life. And uh, uh, then I surrendered my life to the Lord and shut my business down and began to prepare for full-time ministry. Because I knew I had to call a God on my life since I was just under 11 years old. And uh, a lady that was... Carolyn's prayer partner in the church. They always prayed together. She came over to our house and she said, uh, Jerry, uh, God told me to bring you this. And she had a, a large paper bag in her hand, grocery bag. And I said, what is it? She said, it's all the messages that Kenneth Copeland preached this week at our church. And I recorded them all on Reel to Reel. And she said, God told me to bring you these, and if you'll listen to them, they'll change your life. So I said, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I said, but how am I supposed to listen to them? She said, you don't have a tape player? I said, no, I don't. She said, I'll be right back. So she left and came back about 25 minutes later and brought this tape player that was about this big, and then it had two speakers attached to it. You know, you didn't carry it around under your arm like a Sony Walkman. I mean, you set it up on a credenza or a table. And she said, I was hoping that you already had one. God told me to give you mine, but I was hoping you already had one. And I, that's the reason why I didn't bring it with me. But she said, here it is. I'm giving it to you. So I set it up in our guest bedroom. Okay. And uh, the Lord had told me. He said, now, if you'll give me the same dedication to my word that you gave to that business and you do it, do it for at least three months, eight hours a day, no less than eight hours a day, I will make a preacher out of you and I'll change your life. So that's what I set out doing. I'd go in that room at six o'clock in the morning and, and I'd put on that first tape that Kenneth Copeland, the message he preached, the first message at Life Tabernacle, Shreveport, Louisiana. And it was simply called The Word of Faith. And I listened to it. Now, the first time I listened to it, I just, I just listened because uh, it was Kenneth Copeland. And, and I, I surrendered my life to the Lord during his meeting, actually after he left town the next morning. But it was a voice I was familiar with, okay? Then the second time I listened to it, I listened to it for content, I, I listened to it for understanding. And thank God that tape player had a pause button and a reverse button because he would say, open your Bibles to Romans. I'd have to stop him right there because I didn't know where Romans was. And I'd have to look in the index to find Romans. And then he'd talk about a certain verse in Romans, Romans 10, 17. So faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And if I didn't understand something, I backed him up, started him over again. And I did that over and over and over. And I went through that 
first tape, the first message for days and days and days. And then it got so exciting, I couldn't get enough. My eight hours a day would turn into 10, 12, 15, 17 hours a day. I couldn't get enough. I'd come out for lunch with my family, and then I'd go back in there, and I'd stay in there till six. I'd come out and have dinner with them and do whatever they wanted me to do until they all went to bed. Then I went back in there. I couldn't get enough. And what I was learning was, number one, who I was in Christ. Number two, I had a covenant with God. Number three, God wanted to bless me. Amen. And that became so exciting. I'd never heard anything like this before. Never heard anything like it before. And it became so exciting that I couldn't get enough. And then the more I studied and, and, and continued to study and still study it to this day, 53 years later, I realized that God wants us not only blessed, but extremely blessed. Amen. Amen. Extremely blessed. When God said to Abram, and later changed his name to Abraham, I will bless thee. That word blessed literally means empowered to prosper. It means I will empower you to increase. I will empower you to excel. I will empower you to rise above what holds everybody else down. That's what to bless means. Amen. And so many Christians have no understanding of that. You know, in a lot of Christian homes, they never hear the word bless until somebody sneezes. Bless you. I don't know where that came from, but in a lot of homes, that's the only time they ever hear the word bless. And, and when I learned that in bless means to empower, to prosper and increase and excel and rise above, then I taught my children that that's what it means to be blessed. And, and we would do this. Uh, if I heard one of them sneeze, I'd say, uh, empower you to prosper. And then when my grandchildren came along, I remember one day uh, my grandson Dylan, he was about four years old then. He's now uh, married and, and works in our ministry. And, but when he was about four years old, he loved riding motorcycles with me. And, and he just would cry if he couldn't go with me. And uh, he'd, he'd come get one of my motorcycle magazines, take it home with him, and put it under his pillow at night. And then uh, before he'd go to sleep, he'd say, Jesus, and his mother would hear it, Jesus, tell Papa to buy me a motorcycle, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I promised him that when he got to be six years old, I'd buy him his first little Honda motorcycle, you know, motor scooter. And uh, so as soon as he turned six, he was at the house. Papa, let's go get my motorcycle. So we went. And so I'm teaching him about, you know, how to, how to ride this thing. Bought him all the gear. Man, he looked like something from outer space with all this stuff on, you know. And uh, so he wanted to park it in my garage next to my motorcycles. He wanted to leave it there. And so when he would come to my house, we'd go out to the garage. And uh, if he saw me working on my motorcycle, doing something, he would watch me. And then he'd go over here and he'd, he'd get a wrench out and act like he's doing the same thing to his, you know. Well, I'm working on my bike one day, and he sneezed. And I heard him, but I was, I was, you know, pretty much locked into what I was doing, and I didn't say anything. He got up, 
and stood right in front of me, put his hands on his hip and said, Papa, I sneezed and you didn't empower me to prosper. <laughs> I said, well, excuse me, empower you to prosper. He said, thank you very much and went back to it. So we, we taught our kids, we taught our grandchildren and now I'm a great grandfather, you know, We've taught them that to be blessed is to be empowered to prosper. And we've taught them that God wants to continually bless you. Amen. Continually. Look at your neighbor and say, continually. Being blessed is not a one-time event in our lives, or it shouldn't be. God wants to bless you progressively. He wants you to increase more and more. Amen. And one of the reasons why is not just so your life will be better, but now your life will become an attraction to others. Amen. Because when you're blessed and others are not, you stick out. <laughs> you stand out. Amen. I've won a lot of people to the Lord that I never preached one word to. They just saw the way I lived and wanted to know, how are you doing this and where are you getting all this? I said, it's the God I serve. It's the blessing of God on my life. It's His favor on my life. And when they hear that, I've never, heard any, I've never had anybody turn me down when I was asking, would you like to receive my, my Lord? Why? Because they saw what He was doing in my life. Amen. Now, I say this as humbly as I know how, but at the same time, I believe you'll understand. I'm not blessed less today than I was 10 years ago. I'm blessed more. And I expect this time next year to be able to say, and I've even blessed greater this year than I was last year. Amen. Because the Bible makes it very clear that God wants us to increase more and more. Not only that, but he says, and your children. You know, my children's favorite verses are those that include them. Hallelujah. Amen. Like they told me one day, they said, Daddy, you've been telling us for a long time when they were little girls. Daddy, you told us for a long time that you found in the Bible, a good man leaveth an inheritance unto his children's children. You're doing that, aren't you, Daddy? You know? I said, oh, yes, I am. Amen. So God's blessings are intended to be progressive. Amen never ending. Now, if they end in your life, you're the reason, not God. Thank you for your enthusiasm. If they cease to come into your life, you had something to do with it, not God. Amen. So don't blame him. Amen. You know, sometimes I have people do this, just take their finger and point it right in front of their, put it right in front of their face and say, I've discovered the enemy. Amen. Some, some Christians don't even need a devil. They're their own worst enemy. So let's talk about progressive blessings tonight. What do you say? Sound good to you? All right, now let's look at Mark chapter 4, first of all. Mark chapter 4. And uh, I want us to begin reading in verse 26. Verse 26. And he said, Jesus speaking, as you well know, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Now, another translation says it this way. 
It's the NIV. This is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what the kingdom of God is like. In other words, Jesus is saying, if I wanted to explain to you how the kingdom of God operates and functions, then this is the illustration I would give you. Okay? This is what it's like. Now let's keep reading and notice he says, As if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep, and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. Notice three stages of growth. First, the ear, or, or first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. Say it with me. Three stages. So notice what he's talking about here is the law of progression. The law of progression. Anybody that's ever planted a seed knows that you don't get up the next morning, go out and see if it's come up. And if it didn't come up, go dig it up. It's not working. Amen? What kind of farmer would that be? He knows first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. Three stages of growth. Jesus is talking about. So when the Lord began to teach me this way back there, long time ago, he said, every time you read this, refer to it as the law of progression. The law of progression. Now, he said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Or in other words, it's how the kingdom of God functions and operates. First, then, and after that. Say that with me. First, then, and after that. Say it again. First, then, and after that. So that means that if, if you are in the kingdom of God, then there should be things happening to you progressively. Amen. First, this will happen. And then, that'll happen. And then after that, it'll happen. Amen. Uh, as I said this morning, uh, when, when we first come to the Lord... We, we experience certain things happening to us, and, uh, and, and it, it is God's way of getting our attention that He's real, He's alive, because at that point, we don't know much Scripture, you know. I remember uh, uh, when, when I first came to the Lord back there, that second visit that Kenneth Copeland came uh, to the church, it was about six months after his first visit, and now I'm, I'm a born-again, Holy Ghost-filled loving God and can't get enough of the word Christian. And I didn't want to miss one service. So I'd planned to be in all three services every day. Well, as it turned out, he had an accident in his automobile uh, between Fort Worth and Shreveport, Louisiana on Interstate 20 and wiped out the whole left side of his 1969 Pontiac Bonneville. And so when he got to town, uh, he, he, he and Gloria were staying with my mother and father-in-law. Back then, preachers didn't stay in hotels. They stayed in people's homes. And my mother and father-in-law was always the couple in the church that pastor asked if the guest speaker could stay with them. And uh, so the, he was staying with them. And he mentioned to my father-in-law, uh, well, he showed my father-in-law what had happened to his car on the way over there. And he said, uh, do you know anybody that could possibly repair my car while I'm here this week. 
And my father-in-law said, well, you know, that's what my son-in-law Jerry used to do. He, he doesn't have his shop anymore, but I'll ask him. And so they came over to my house, and Brother Copeland asked me if I knew anybody that could repair his car that week while he was there. I said, well, I'd, I'd be happy to repair it. I don't have my shop, but I can do it in my carport, if you don't mind. I still have my tools. And I said, uh, I'll work on it during the day, and, and I'll be in your services in the evening. And that meant I couldn't go to all those day services because I had, I had to repair the car. And so uh, I'm working on the car every day. And then I'd go to the evening service. And uh, one, one day when I finished it before the meeting had ended, I got to go to uh, maybe that last morning and afternoon service, I believe it was. And in that service, uh, my daughter Terry was just... Uh, just barely crawling around. She was so young. Uh, my daughter, Jerry Ann, uh, is, is 12 months older than, than Terry. And Terry and Jerry were both in the nursery while Brother Copeland was preaching. And uh, he's, he's preaching from Mark chapter 4, some verses up a little further up, talking about the sower sows the word. And he just made this statement, quoting Jesus. Once the word is sown, Satan comes immediately to steal the word. And about that time, we heard a scream coming down the hallway from a little child. And the nursery attendant came running in the side door like this right there. I'm sitting right there on that front row. And she come through the door like this with my daughter Terry in her arms. And this lady was a nurse. And she would come to the church to volunteer to work in the nursery. And then afterwards, she would go to the hospital to work. Well, she had my daughter Terry in her arms and the lady had on her white nurse uniform and blood all over it. And my daughter Terry is screaming at the top of her voice. And I don't know what's happened. Nobody knows what's happened yet. Brother Copeland's preaching and she comes in and she's saying, Brother Jerry, Brother Jerry, you know, in a, in a frightened manner. And I stood up and uh, had no idea what had happened. And, and she handed Terry to me. And Terry was screaming and crying. And I turned, I still don't know what's happened. I turned to Brother Copeland to see how he was going to react to this. Because it happened in his meeting. He'd been preaching faith all week. Let's see if he really believes it. Amen. Amen. Now a lot of preachers, they would have ended the meeting right there. Dear God, I didn't know it's going to happen then. We'll see you next month. Not Kenneth Copeland. He, now, back then, you wore a, a lavalier mic with a, with a cord on it, and he could just get so far. He took that mic off and walked up to her and laid his hands on her without asking a question and just simply prayed in about this tone of voice. In the name of Jesus, I command the pain to stop and the bleeding to cease. And immediately, Terry stopped crying laid her head on my shoulder, closed her eyes, it stopped bleeding, she stopped crying, and I still don't know what's happened to her. So I took her into the men's restroom. Now I've got blood all over me to wash the blood off of her and off of me and to try to find out what happened. So when I got the blood cleaned off of her, she had cut off these two fingers right behind the first joint, these two fingers right here. I could see the nail root. Uh, we're talking about a, 
13-month-old child, okay, a baby. And when I saw what had happened, I mean, it, it, it gripped me. I thought, dear God, I'd rather somebody cut my arm off than see my baby missing fingers. And I, I, I don't know how it happened yet, but I, I can see what happened. And about that time, the nursery attendant knocked on the door and said, Brother Jerry, can I come in? I said, yes. She came in and she said, I went back to the nursery and I found these on the floor. And it was her two little fingertips, little tiny fingertip. And she put them in the palm of my hand. She said, they were under the rocking chair. Now, this is a very heavy set woman. And, and Terry crawled around in the nursery there, got her hand under the rocking chair, and that nursery attendant rocked over it and cut her fingers off. And she said, I got two little fingertips in the palm of my hand. And I felt fear trying to grip me. And I just read a verse that morning. First time I'd ever seen this verse. Jude 20. Praying in the Holy Ghost, building up your most holy faith. I thought, sounds good, and it sounds like what I need to do right now. So I started praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues. And it, and it happened. Fear subsided, and faith began to rise. And at that moment, I took my Bible. I had my Bible, in, and I walked in there with it. And I opened it to Mark, the 11th chapter, where Kenneth Copeland had been preaching and talking about if you have faith, you know, you can say under this mountain, be thou removed, and so forth. And then I opened it to Deuteronomy chapter 28, where it talked about the blessing of God. And then I talk, went to Galatians chapter 3, where it said, we're now Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And I held my Bible up, and I set Terry on the counter, and I held those fingertips up. And I said, God, you will restore my baby's fingers. I'm saying it according to Mark 11, 23. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I'm the seed of Abraham. I'm entitled to the blessing. And I believe you will restore my baby's fingers. And then I wrote all that in the front of that Bible. That Bible's in my archives now. And I've signed my name to it and I put the date on it. And then I took Terry back out into the service. And she's laying on my shoulder, sound asleep. Brother Copeland finished his sermon. And I said, well, why don't you go back into the service? This is not the time to run from the Word, this time to run to the Word. That's the biggest mistake people make when they're in trouble. They run from God instead of run to God. Faith comes by hearing. Amen. So I listened to the rest of the sermon. Brother Copeland came down and said to me, what happened? And I told him. And he looked at her fingers. He said, now I advise you, take her to the hospital and get her fingers properly dressed. You can't leave them exposed like that. And then he said these words that I'll never forget as long as I live. But don't let them talk you out of what you're believing. Amen. Don't let them talk you out of what you're believing. He said, what do you believe? I said, God will restore my baby's fingers. He said, then don't let them talk you out of it. So I took her to the hospital. They were amazed that she was still not screaming. And I handed the doctor the fingertips. He looked at him, examined them, and he said, there's nothing I can do. The tissue's dead. The nerve's dead. And I watched that doctor take those little fingertips and throw them in a trash bin. Now, I'm less than uh, six months old in the Lord, and I'm not sanctified yet. 
That man came as close as he's ever come in his life again, slapped right across the face. That's what I wanted to do. When he threw my baby's fingers in the trash bin, he said, I can't do anything with them. All I can do is take a skin graft, take some skin from her hip and do a skin graft. The nails will never come back. The fingers will never be normal. They'll never be the right length. You're just going to have to learn to live with this. And I remember what Kenneth Copeland said. Don't let them talk you out of what you're believing. Don't let them talk you out of what you're believing. Well, I said, you do what you can do and my God will do the rest. He said, it's medically impossible for him to restore those fingers. I said, I noticed in your office, you had a statue of Buddha. With your God, it is, but not with my God. My God's El Shaddai. He's the God in whom nothing is impossible. So you do what you can do, and then my God will take it from there. And he went over to Carolyn and said, your husband's in shock. She said, no, sir. We believe our God will restore our baby's fingers. Well, he did the skin graft, and he said, keep her overnight in the hospital, and then bring her back in eight weeks. Eight weeks later, we brought her back, and we knew that we knew that we knew. You say, how do you know? I just knew it in my knower <laughs> that we were going to see a miracle. And when we brought her back the next morning after eight weeks, when he cut the bandages off, he raised both hands and screamed, my God. I said, what is it, sir? He said, look, the fingers are back. The nails are back. They're normal length. You can't even tell they've ever been cut off. My God. My God. And that's what I told him when he said, my God. I said, no, sir, not your God, my God. <laughs> Look like to me, all Buddha can do is get fatter and uglier, but my God. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but my God. Now, the reason I'm telling you that story, it marked me. I became a marked man. That God, nothing is impossible with God. Amen. And, and it, it was one of the first major miracles I experienced as a new believer. Okay? And it marked me. And I've had miracles not only in my life, but miracles that have happened in my meetings all over the world. Joe and I have been all over the world. And we've seen miracle after miracle. I mean, it's just amazing some of the things we've seen God do. But that's the testimony that marked me that caused me to believe that nothing was impossible to him. But it didn't end with that one miracle. It's been miracle after miracle, blessing after blessing, miracle after miracle, blessing after blessing, miracle after miracle, blessing after blessing. That's God's plan. And it's not just for me, and it's certainly not just for preachers. I know a lot of preachers that are not experiencing it. It's for every believer in this house. It's for every believer on this planet, praise God. And you say amen. amen. If you've ever been blessed by God, how many of you can say, I've been blessed by God? Then it shouldn't have ended with that testimony. You know, you hear some people, uh, I know in the church that Carolyn grew up in and I started going to, uh, every Sunday night was testimony night. The preacher, the pastor would preach on Sunday morning and then the associate pastor would preach for maybe 30 minutes on Sunday night, and then he'd call people up to give testimonies. And, and I was amazed, because uh, I was a young believer, 
and I'm just learning how church operates and how church people function, you know, especially in a Pentecostal church. I'd never been anything like that in my life. In fact, the first time Carolyn took me, they were casting out devils. I knew I had some, and I got real low <laughs> behind that seat in front of me, you know. And uh, uh, so anyway, uh, the, the uh, where was I at? Testimony, yeah, the testimony service. And I, I was, I, I, I'm trying to learn how to be one of these Christians like this church. And they get up and they'd say, the devil visited our house this week. And oh, I'm telling you, we've had a hard week. My husband lost his job. Both kids skipped, missed school. They were sick. Blessed be his holy name. But we all know our God is able. And everybody say, yes, amen, hallelujah. And then the next one would get up. And it was like trying to top the last one with the tragedies they went through. It wasn't a testimony of God's goodness. It was a testimony of what, God, what, what Satan was doing. And, and they'd all end it with this same statement. But we all know our God is able. I told Carolyn, I said, next Sunday night when we come, I'm going to go up and ask that person, well, did he? She said, did he what? I said, they all say God's able, but I never hear him talk about God did it. She said, don't embarrass me. I said, I'm not going to embarrass you, but inquiring minds want to know. Amen? So I walked up to this lady that had said that, but we all know our God is able in the whole church. Yes, amen, hallelujah. I said, lady, did he? She said, what? I said, did he do what you said he was able to do? You know what she said? Well, you never know what God's going to do. I said, then why are you asking me to serve a God that you never know what he's going to do? How come you're telling me to have faith in a God that you never know what he's going to do? And like Brother Hagin used to say, I got the left foot of fellowship. <laughs> uh, nobody wanted to be around me anymore, you know. But that didn't stop me from learning, praise God. And I found out that God is certainly capable of what he said he would do. He's not a man that he should lie. Amen. And that he wanted us blessed and continually blessed. And if we experience a, a, a good thing from God, he's the author of good things, then that's not supposed to be the end of it. It's supposed to be perpetual, never ending. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Look your neighbor and say, I believe it. And give the Lord a good shout if you do. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Never ending. Hallelujah. Now, the Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Notice it didn't say the leaps. The leaps. No, it said the steps. And a lot of Christians get irritated and they, some even eventually turn their back on God because they don't like having to deal in steps. 
one step at a time. You know, that's the reason steps are on this platform. I mean, I, could, I can jump from here to there. But if I do it every time I want to get down, it's possible that I might wind up hurting myself. Steps are designed to get there the safest way possible without hindrances. Amen? I remember one time I was preaching on a little tiny, small, four-by-eight platform covered with four-by-eight sheet uh, uh, plywood. That's all it was. And I, I got kind of lost in my sermon, and I got too far off the back of that platform and fell off of it. And I wound up, they had instruments on the, on the main floor, and I wound up, my bottom is in the bass drum. And my legs and arms are sticking out. Everybody got up to see where I went. Because it was back behind the, that little platform. And they got up to see where I went. And, and I, I said, Lord, what I do now? He said, Micah 7-8, do it quick and don't ask any more questions. I said, what is Micah 7-8? He said, when I fall, I shall arise. Just act like that's what you preach all the time. So I got up. And I, and I got out of that, and I jumped back on that platform, and I just took up where I left off. Never said a word about falling. And this lady, after the service, she said, uh, Brother Savell, is there something wrong with you? You have a problem? I said, no, not that I know of. She said, well, I've never seen a preacher fall off the platform before. I said, yeah, but did you see that recovery? Wasn't that a nice recovery? <laughs> she said, do you fall often? I said, no, ma'am. I don't want to talk about the fall. Let's talk about the recovery. Did you, see, did you see that nice recovery? She said, do we need to pray for you? Is there something wrong with you? I said, ma'am, I don't want to talk to you about the fall. I want to talk to you about the recovery. Wasn't that a nice recovery? I could not get her off the fall. Amen. That's where a lot of people live. You know, they, they fell and they never recover. Amen. What, what would you think of me if I'm, if I'm preaching along here and I accidentally fell off this platform, rolled over on my back, and somebody comes up, pastor comes up and says, Brother Jerry, you okay? Yeah, I think so. Would you like me to help you up? Oh, no, I fell. We all saw you fall. And you're not hurt? No, I don't think so. Well, let me help you up. Oh, no, you don't understand, I fell. And you come back next Sunday night and I'm still laying in the floor? That's what Brother Hagin used to call ignorance gone to seed. Amen. <laughs> Amen. No, if, 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 if I fell, I'm going to hope to God you didn't notice and I'm going to get up so quick. <laughs> Amen. And just take up where, where I left off. Amen. Steps are designed to get you there the safest way possible without hindrances. And the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I remember one time I was going through a, a terrible financial ordeal in the early days of, of my ministry, and I'd, I had been away from working full-time for Brother Copeland for maybe two or three years, and it's like I, I hit a wall. It's like 
the, the heavens had turned to brass. My goodness, it looked like I couldn't get a breakthrough. And one day, I'm sitting in my office, and I get a phone call. Uh, a call came in, and, and my secretary said, it's Brother Copeland, he'd like to talk to you. And so when I answered the phone, I said, hi, Brother Copeland. He said, what are you doing, Jerry? Well, I didn't want to tell him. I'm sitting here worrying over my finances, which is actually what I was doing. But that's not what you say to Kenneth Copeland, you know. <laughs> I said, I just believe in God, <laughs> you know. And he said, well, that's what I called you about. He said, the Lord had you on mine and glorious mind this morning. And, and he told us, you're going through a financial crisis and we're praying for you. Just want you to know we're praying for you. And then he said, and the Lord told me to tell you, go play. I said, what? He said, go play. Get away from that office. Get away from the ministry. Go do something you enjoy doing. Now, I wanted to say, Brother Copeland, you don't understand. Somebody's got to stay here and worry. You know, I didn't say that. He said, said because I'm going to do you praying for you. You go play and I will pray. And he said, and I can pray better than you right now because I'm not under your pressure. So just go play. Get away from that office and don't even come back until tomorrow. And just know, if you're out riding your motorcycle, just know Brother Copeland's praying. You're playing and Brother Copeland's praying. Amen. And so I just went out and got on my motorcycle and took off, had a smile on my face, bugs in my teeth, and just riding around, having a wonderful time, praise God, and knowing that Brother Copeland is praying. And I got back to that office the next day, and before the day was up, we had a major breakthrough, financial breakthrough, praise God. Amen. Now, I said that for this reason. He called me later that day, and said, tell me what's happening. And I told him about the breakthrough that I just had. And he said, let me, let me give you some advice that I learned a long time ago. When you go through a crisis like that, ask yourself, have I done the last step that God gave me? Have I fulfilled that step yet? He said, because a lot of times you don't, complete the step that he gave you and you become a hindrance to your own miracle breakthrough. And I thought about it. I said, you know, you're right, Brother Copeland. There was something he told me to do. There was a friend of mine, a preacher friend of mine named Joe Nay that Brother Copeland and I both knew and loved very much. And the Lord had told me to send Joe Nay an offering. And I got busy and didn't do it. And the next day, the Lord reminded me. He said, I told you to send Jonah an offering. I said, I apologize, Lord. I'll get that over to him just as soon as I get through doing this. And the day slipped away from me again. And I still didn't do what the Lord told me to do. And then I set myself up for a setback. And I knew what Brother Copeland was referring to. Have you completed the last step God gave you? Sometimes we, we want to take three or four steps at a time. But the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. God is progressive. Amen? And sometimes you need to ask yourself, if you've hit a wall, 
in your prayer life or uh, in your finances? Have you done the last thing God told you to do? And many times, you will, if you'll be honest with yourself, you'll discover, no, I haven't. I didn't do the last thing God told me to do. Because he's not going to go to step six until you complete step five. I got one amen, nothing on this side of the auditorium. You're not going to get step six until you finish step five. Amen. So we're talking about progressive blessings, progressive blessings. So the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord progressively. God's not going to give you uh, leaps. He's going to give you steps. Amen. Now, let's look at uh, something in the book of Job. You mean there's something good in the book of Job, Brother Jerry? Oh, yes. Job chapter 8. And let's look at verse 7. Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. Back in those early days, uh, John Osteen used to have a pastor's meeting at Lakewood Church, church he pastored in Houston. And I, I met Brother John back when he was still in that feed store. He had about 500 people. And uh, uh, I met Brother John and became acquainted with him. And uh, so he sent me a, an announcement that he was having this minister's conference at his church. And he was inviting missionaries from, that they supported from all over the world and uh, ministers that wanted to come. So Carol and I went. And uh, one uh, afternoon after the morning service, he invited Dodie and he invited Carol and I to sit with them at lunch. And so we're sitting there and enjoying uh, hearing what he had to say and the wisdom John had and so forth. Wonderful man, became one of my closest friends. And uh, Brother John just stopped while he was in the middle of a sentence there and he said, Brother Jerry, God's going to bless your ministry. God is going to take your ministry to a level that you can't even conceive right now. Just stay in faith and be patient. And then he said this to me, and never despise small beginnings. Never despise small beginnings. I said, Brother John, where did you get that? And he said, Job chapter 8, verse 7. Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end shall greatly increase. So notice here, God's talking about progression. God doesn't intend for you to stay small. God doesn't intend for you to be blessed once or twice in your lifetime. And that's the testimony you give for the next 40 years. You know, your beginning was small. Another translation says, even though you're, you had humble beginnings, your future will be brighter. Humble beginnings, but your future will be brighter. Why? Because God is a progressive God. Amen. He wants His blessings coming in our lives progressively. Amen. Actually, unceasingly. Amen. Are you still with me? Now, this is what was told to Job. That though your beginning was small, yet your latter end shall greatly increase. Well, let's see if that happened to him. Go to Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42. 
And of course, you know the answer to that question already. Look at verse 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses. It says in verse 10 that God gave Job twice as much as he had before. So notice the truth was spoken to Job that even though your beginning was small, yet your latter end shall greatly increase. Now, if you're not experiencing that, would you like me to tell you how you can get back on track? Let's go to another verse in Job chapter 22. Job chapter 22. In verse 21, Acquaint now thyself with him. Be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto you. Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth, and lay up his words in thine heart. If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Then shalt thou, thou lay up gold as dust, and the gold of Ophir as stones of the brooks. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense, and thou shalt have plenty of silver. Notice the first verse we read there, verse 21. Acquaint now thyself with the Lord. Another translation says, reacquaint yourself. Reacquaint yourself. And notice, if you reacquaint yourself with Him, then the results will be progression, plenty, blessings will keep coming. So apparently, a lot of times what happens is when people uh, go through hardships and they go through tests and trials, and we've all been there, and people react differently to them. Some people, when they go through tests and trials, they, they get upset with God. Why are you letting this happen to me? Other people learn better than to blame God, you know. And a lot of times what happens is they become less committed to God, less committed to His Word. Isn't it amazing when people are going through some hardships, one of the first things they think of is, I'm not going to church no more. I'm not giving anymore. I'm not sowing anymore. I'm not reading my Bible anymore. <laughs> like, I remember one time, uh, this, this guy that I knew, <laughs> um, every time I would call him, when he answered the phone, he'd say, hallelujah. I'd say, yeah, hallelujah, praise God. But then I heard that he was going through some really tough times. And I called him and he said, what do you want? Turned to change his attitude. His tone was different. You could tell he was going through and it was getting to him. He didn't have that praise in his voice anymore, you know. And so what we just read there is what a lot of Christians need to do today. Reacquaint themselves with God. Amen. Reacquaint themselves with God. Get your fire back. That's the way I like to say it. Get your fire back. God's not your problem. God's not the blame. God's still the same 
as he was the last time you had fellowship with him. Amen. He's still the good God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. He's the author of good. He's the source of good. Amen. And to get back on track to begin to experience progressive blessings is a lot of people just simply need to reacquaint themselves with him. Amen. You know, I've, I've met a lot of people in my 53 years of preaching all over the world. And a lot of people were, we, that I met 53 years ago were still very close friends, have, have a relationship. Uh, one of my dearest friends is Happy Caldwell from Little Rock, Arkansas. Happy and I met uh, right after Happy got saved. Uh, he was a liquor salesman in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I was preaching in Little Rock and staying in a, in a man's home by the name of Jay Blevins. And uh, uh, Jay asked me one morning if I would like to go to lunch that day. And he said, uh, would you mind if I invite a friend of mine who just recently got saved? I said, not at all. And so we went by this house and we picked up this man named Happy Caldwell. And that was mine and Happy's first time to meet. And uh, we just became immediate friends. I mean, it was just something clicked, and we became immediate friends. And now we have spent vacations together every year in January for 42 years. Every year. Uh, Happy and Jeannie Caldwell and uh, Buddy and Pat Harrison. Buddy's gone home to be with the Lord, but Pat still goes with us every year. And we're very, very close friends. Now, there are other people that I believe I had divine appointments with that are not in my life anymore. And I don't really know the reason. To, love, to know me is to love me, right? <laughs> and yet, but there are some people, you know, you just, you, you feel like it was a divine connection. You feel like God brought them into your life. And then suddenly they disappear. Like one pastor up in the northern part of the country. Uh, he'd gone through some terrible hardships, went through a divorce, lost his church. Uh, his denomination didn't want him anymore because he went through a divorce. And uh, Buddy Harrison found this man and, and began to minister to him and encourage him and, and licensed him and encouraged him to, to go on and stay in the ministry, you know. And then Buddy called me and he said, uh, I want you to, next time you're up in that part of the country, I want you to go by and, and just encourage this guy. Just visit with him and minister to him. Well, I did. And we became friends. And over a period of time, he, he, he uh, started another church, and an, an independent church, and it just kept growing and growing. And I would speak in his convention every year, and it kept growing and growing and growing. Thousands of people in his church. And, and we were very close I don't get invited to his convention anymore. And I've done it every year. I mean, he's just, he told me at the beginning, put this on your schedule every year. But then he didn't ask me to come this one year. Then the next year he didn't ask me to come. And then I lost contact with him. I didn't, didn't hear from him anymore. And so one day I thought, I need to listen to what this guy's preaching. And so I knew somebody that went to his church, and I said, would you send me a copy of one of his Sunday messages? And found out he was no longer preaching the word of faith. 
he got off into something else and preaching something else. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and then his church started dwindling because it was the word of faith that built that church. And then somebody else came in there with a message that tickled his ears. And he decided the word of faith is not what we want to hear anymore. And he started preaching something else. Well, he knew that's what I stood for. So this reason he didn't invite me to come anymore. And so uh, then his church started dwindling. People started leaving and going other places. So then one day I get a call. And he says, um, would you come back to my church? I said, well, why do you want me now? You didn't want me the last four or five years. He said, well, I made a mistake. And I need to get reacquainted with Word of Faith people. <laughs> Amen. I made a mistake. And I need to get reacquainted with Word of Faith people. Amen. Well, a lot of people are that way with God. They, they need to get reacquainted with Him. They, that somebody tickle their ears, tell them things that sound good but are not accurate. Get off track. Amen. God wants us continually blessed, progressively blessed, never ending, praise God. Amen. But you got to stay linked up with Him. If you ever find yourself going through a season where it doesn't look as though blessings are coming your way, stop and ask yourself, have I gotten out of fellowship with Him? Am I not as diligent in my pursuit of Him and in my pursuit of His Word as I once was. And if you're honest with yourself, that's probably where the problem lies. Well, just correct it. Get back on track and the blessings keep coming. Amen. And the blessings keep coming. Can you say amen? amen. Give the Lord a shout if you believe it. Praise God. Amen. Now, uh, I want to... Uh, not take too much more of your time, but I want to share this with you. In Psalm 115, Psalm 115, and look at verse 12. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. You are blessed to the Lord who made heaven and earth. Notice verse 14 once again. The Lord will increase you more and more. More and more. No matter how much increase you've experienced from God up to now, God says there's more. And when you reach that level, God will tell you, and there's more. Years ago, I was preaching out in Southern California, <clears throat> and uh, uh, there was a man and his family came to my meeting. And later found out that this was an extremely wealthy businessman in Southern California. And uh, after the service that night, that last night, he came up to me and he said, uh, Brother Seville, would you and your family uh, consider going to lunch tomorrow with me and my family? And he said, we'd like to take you to lunch. And I didn't know the man at that time. I'd 
I saw him in the service, but I didn't really know him. And uh, I said, yes, we, we don't have anything on our schedule tomorrow and uh, be happy to go with you. So he said, well, what hotel are you staying in? I told him. He said, we'll be there tomorrow at about 1130 and we want to take you uh, to a, a real nice restaurant that's one of our favorites. So we're standing out in front of the hotel. My wife and I and my two daughters, they were very young at the time. We're standing out in front of the hotel. Had a big circle drive out in front, beautiful palm trees and everything. And in a little while, here come this beautiful Mercedes around the parking lot. And I recognized his wife driving it. And she had her two daughters with her. She got out of the car and she said, uh, Brother Jerry, my husband is coming to pick you up in another car, but I'm going to take your wife and your daughters with me. So they got in her car and they left. In a little while, I'm, I'm still standing there in a little while. A 1927 Silver Ghost Rolls Royce pulls up and he's driving it. And he says, uh, come on and get in. And I get in this Rolls Royce. Now, I, I've been a classic car fanatic all of my life, but I'd never been in a classic Rolls Royce. In fact, I'd never been in a Rolls Royce, period. And this is a 1927 Silver Ghost Rolls Royce. At that time, it was worth, and it, it was, uh, that was 1973, it was worth at least a quarter of a million dollars. And I get in it, and it's, it's a, it's a roadster convertible. And I get in it, and we're going down the interstate, Southern California, and we're going to Redondo Beach, okay? And I'm setting up in there, and the guy says, I own this property right over here. I just finished building that building. I'm buying this property, and I just sold that piece of property. He owned property all up and down that interstate. This is a wealthy, wealthy man. And then we get to this restaurant, and it's out on the water, beautiful restaurant. And I, don't, I can't even pronounce what's on the menu. You know, I, I, I'm feeling a, the spirit of Gomer Powell come on me. I'm out of place. I've never seen wealth like this. And I, I want to say Shazam, you know. <laughs> Golly, you know. But I, I tried to be as reserved as I possibly could. And so uh, his wife says, I, I think she saw the question mark on mine and Carolyn's face. We don't, we don't even know what's on this menu. And she said, may I order? Oh, yes, please do, you know. And so they ordered whatever. And uh, we had this wonderful lunch with them. And then he said, now, I'd like to take you to my office, if you don't mind. I said, we'd love to. So we drive to his office. Beautiful, beautiful building. Tall building right off the interstate you know, Southern California. And uh, when we walk into the lobby, his office is to the back of the lobby and has these beautiful doors. They had to be at least 16 feet high. And he opens the doors and everything in there has been imported from Italy. It's, I've never seen anything like it before. And so he says, sit down. And we sat across from his desk and he starts sharing with us how the Lord had blessed him and, and so forth. And, uh, and I'm wondering 
why am I here? I am so out of place. You know, I'm believing God for prosperity. I'm believing God to increase. I'm believing God for gas to get back to home from, from California, you know. And, and I'm sitting in this, this office that, that is totally represented, representing wealth beyond anything I'd ever seen before. I'm a country boy, born on a farm in Mississippi. I never seen anything like this. And I'm thinking, why am I here? Why, why did God arrange this for me? And so we had a wonderful conversation, and, and, uh, and then he wanted to bless me. He said, I have a watch I'd like to give you. And he gave me this watch, and it was an antique $20 gold piece that had been made into a watch. I still have it. I don't wear it. I keep it in a safety deposit box. <laughs> and uh, one day, years later, yeah, we'd become friends. And years later, we were at a meeting together. And he rolled up my sleeve and said, you don't have on your watch. I said, uh, I, I don't wear that watch because I don't want people thinking I stole the offerings and bought that watch. That, that watch is worth $20,000 back then. And I said, I don't want people thinking I took the offerings and bought it, this watch. He said, well, did you? I said, no, you gave it to me. He said, then wear it. Let them think what they want to think. So I wore it for a while, but I put it back in the safety deposit box, okay? <laughs> I don't know what it's worth now, Joe. You need to check on it for me. So anyway, uh, uh, I, when I got home, I asked the Lord, I said, why did that happen? And he said, I wanted to increase your vision. He said, I wanted you to see that no matter how blessed you are, there's always another level. No matter how blessed that man was, there's another level to his, what he can receive. Amen. That really ministered to me. That no matter how blessed you are, there's always another level. God wants you to take, God wants to take you higher and higher and higher. He wants to increase you more and more. You know, some religious-minded Christians have a problem with you increasing, but God doesn't. As long as he gets all the credit for it. Remember what Abraham said? He said, I don't want a, I don't want a shoestring out of your shoes because I don't want anybody to ever say they made Abraham rich, but Almighty God. As long as God gets the credit for it, he don't care how much and he don't care how many banks in Missouri it takes to hold all your finances. Just as long as he gets all the credit. And that you're blessed to be a blessing. Amen. So let me just close it with this. God's not done with you yet. Hallelujah. Take that home with you. God's not done with me yet. Just stay linked to him. If you've gotten away from him, reacquaint yourself with him. Amen? Reacquaint yourself. Get, get that fire back where you, you looked forward to those times of fellowship with the Lord. Don't let crisis and don't let uh, tests and trials uh, de deprive you of your special time with God because you stay linked up with him and there's no limit 
to where he'll take you, praise God. Amen. Can you say amen? Even in a pandemic. Amen. Hallelujah. I've had my, some of my greatest years in 53 years of ministry the last three years. We've broken records every year since the pandemic hit. Amen. God proving that this is not his first pandemic. Like we say in Texas, it's not his first rodeo. The children of Israel went through a pandemic in Egypt, wouldn't you say? And he delivered them. Not only did he deliver them, but the Bible says he delivered them with a high hand. He took all the silver and gold with them. Amen. So, God's not done with you yet. There's more. Just stay linked up with Him. No matter what's going on in the world, the Lord said to me, and I told you this back the last time I was here, coming into 2022, He said, tell the people everywhere you go that if they'll not be moved or shaken by the chaos and all the disorder that's happening in the world around them now, tell them I will open my hand and cause them to experience supernatural provision, praise God. So just stay linked up with God because He's not done with you yet. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We believe God's Word is what will sustain us in any situation in our lives. For more information, please visit us at familywc.org or you can download the app. Look for us as FWC Como. Until the next time, remember, you are God's best.